Welcome back to Making Conversations Count. Today, we're going to be making conversations about when they ask, you answer, count, with Marcus Sheridan. What's new, Wendy Wu? Well, we're going to be doing some top tips from me. Every week, it's going to be something that has made me reflect on the conversation. So like we're doing the bonus content, Neil and I are chatting on a Sunday, carrying on the conversation about what we took away from it. We're going to be giving you a tip. And of course, this will fit quite nicely, I think. And that is that, you know, Marcus is saying, if they're asking the question, answer it, get them to be well educated. Well, for me, I'm going to go one step further and say, ask. Ask anyway, because if you don't ask, the answer will always be no. You can get all of my top tips on my website and we'll pop the details in the show notes. In today's conversation, I'm joined by, well, somebody that I've admired for a very long time. Author of a book, founder of a movement and, you know, somebody who actually changed my concept on inbound. And you all know, right, that I'm an outbound kind of lady. So for many years, I've been recommending this book through my training sessions, through my workshops. And it was because I got the point of the content. It was put into context for me and it later inspired me to write my own best-selling book. So you see, for me, this conversation started from that very first page of They Ask, You Answer. The way that you wrote the book really connected with me as a reader. So we were going on the journey with Marcus. Yeah. We were sitting at your kitchen table at midnight while yep. you were writing blog posts and going, well, what can I write about now? This is Audible. Inbound marketing, content marketing, social media marketing, digital marketing, blogging. They were fancy words and terms, and their definitions included a whole lot of marketing speak that was, frankly, above this pool guy's head. I think that's what saved me. I didn't view the internet from an MBA's standpoint. Rather, I saw it from a consumer's mindset. We were literally going to the imaginary house that hadn't got a pool yet, working out whether they should have fiberglass or something else and yes. the differences. We could actually translate that to what we see in our own business in terms of the questions that we get asked that's often just so obvious, <laughs> but we don't step back and listen. And I think there's something to that, like the amount of people that have said to me, that's pools, right? So because it was pools, it just became so attainable now for so many companies because it was just like so incredibly basic. Like we could all understand, okay, I get it. I get it. I see the application now. You know, I oftentimes wonder what would have happened with my career if I had not been a pool guy, if I didn't have like this singular story where somebody could hear that and say, now it makes sense. I relate to it and it's made all the difference. 
I don't think there was ever a moment that I was reading this in one sitting, I have to say, and then going back to it to make notes in it. I never got a chink of what would I do? What's plan B? We didn't have that. And I guess part of that is when you're going to lose your house, when you're going to know that you're going to fold everything, you don't have the ability to think in terms of plan B. But I'm actually really, really grateful for that because I wonder if it would have been easy to walk away would we have walked away and would the story never have been written? Very well may have been the case. And that's, they say, you know, a tree is as, only as strong as the wind that's blowing to firm it up. And, you know, this really was, it's like stress is this beautiful innovator if we allow it to be. Of course, it's got something to do with the roots of that tree as well, hasn't it? That's right. You've got that's right. After that. So, And what you've just said there just takes me back to the conversation I had with Ivan Meisner about fear paralyzing us. I see people who get frozen by fear or focused by fear. Those people who allow that fear to focus them are way more successful than those who just get frozen by fear. Certainly, COVID is one of those situations that has made everybody reassess on every level what they're doing and where they want to be doing things. The phone stopped ringing here for me in my business, so I had to do something different. So an awful lot of what was in your book, I actually had the time to apply. Mm. That's cool. (laughs) So you go, well, that's a really great idea. And that's a lot of lessons in life and business, isn't it, that you can hear a story, resonate with a story, and it'll sit with you. But it's not until it actually motivates you into some form of action, does it have any power? It's so true what you're saying, because when I talk to these event organizers, right, and they say, we're talking about what we're going to cover, I always make the point, listen, if the audience doesn't do anything, it doesn't matter how excited they are. If they don't do anything, we have done nothing. We are not there. I'm certainly not there to get people fired up, to get people excited. Now, is that probably going to happen? Yes, it's probably going to happen and it does help. But if they don't take action, and I think the big difference to this, and this is the part that I think some people teach or present or communicate that sometimes miss this mark. If somebody sees me, here's my singular goal. They could either read the book or they could watch me on a stage. My singular goal is that they say to the person sitting next to them, oh my gosh, this is so obvious. Why are we not doing it? That to me is the highest compliment. That's the highest compliment. Now, if somebody says in the audience, that guy is a genius, look what he did, then I'm missing the mark. Because if somebody's saying that guy's a genius, then they're also esteeming his or her actions such that the individual saying it may feel it's unattainable to them. So the way we say the thing has got to feel attainable to our audience, that it's available for everybody, right? And so the simplification of the message is absolutely fundamental. And I've had a lot of people of the year say, yeah, Marcus, you know, I heard a talk on content marketing one time. I didn't get it until I heard yours. Yeah, it's because I'm not trying to sound smart when I explain it. It's just not the goal. I'm not trying to impress anybody. I'm detached with the way they perceive me and way more interested in, are they saying, again, it's so obvious. Why are we not doing it? That's that's sort of brought a big smile on my face, really, because 
I've led sales and marketing workshops. I like to be interactive. I like yeah. if I'm going to be up front and centre for it not to just be all about me. And and I think this is kind of what comes through in what you're talking about in the book. They ask, so you answer. So I, yeah. I answer their questions. Like you were saying, you know, oh, why are we not doing that? Actually, I always think that it's great if people go away going, I can do that. Not that was great. Hmm. Now, how am I going to apply that? Because that was just their blueprint. How am I going to shift that? That's what's wonderful about the whole story through They Ask You Answer is that it's universal. It doesn't matter what business you're in. Yeah. And if anybody's reading it in the right mind set and mind frame, they're just flooded with ideas the whole time. It's like so many people's like they read a chapter and it's like, oh, I'm just scribbling down like all these things I should have been talking about that I haven't been talking about before. That's incredibly satisfying. So that to your point, Wendy, by the time I get to the end, it shouldn't really be, okay, so how do I apply it? It starts to become now like I've got all these things to apply. Which one do I choose first, right? Of what they've already essentially noted or quoted as they've gone through the journey of the book. There's certain things that people send me that is very satisfying, right? Different stories. But one of the most is just the amount of scribbles and notes and post-its within the pages of the book. It's just so interesting, right? Because it means incredible stimulation for their brain. It was just hitting on all cylinders, right? And everything was firing. That's pretty exciting. That's very, very rewarding, right? For me as the writer of the book. Well, I've got post-it notes. I've also got... Pencil underlining. I've got highlighter pen through some certain bits. I love the forward, by the way, from the Lego movie. We're going to save the universe. I think that's fantastic. I think there's one key message, one key sentence that really struck home for me. And it's in chapter 13. It's When people buy, they worry more about what might go wrong than about what will go right. For example... When someone is buying a 2017 Ford Mustang, his or her main searches would be either 2017 Ford Mustang reviews or 2017 Ford Mustang negative reviews. When people buy, they worry more about what might go wrong than what will go right. The key thing that you need to understand, start to finish. Yeah. And that's why if, if somebody hears me, I use a phrase oftentimes when they're asking me to explain, they ask you answer. And I say, it's an obsession with the questions, worries, fears, issues, concerns, etc., of your potential customer. Lots of times they think it's just the questions, but those questions become manifest in worries, issues, fears, concerns etc. Right. Mm. It's not until we're really serious about spending our money on something that we start to wonder, all right, how could this go wrong? How could this blow up in my face? Right. What could be the drawbacks? What could be the negatives? We don't ask those things unless we actually want the thing. That's why when people push back on talking about the negatives or, or the perceived negatives of their product or their service, stuff that people are asking about. It's, no, 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 no. That's the ones we want to lean into the most because those are our most serious buyers. 
they're not just lookers, they're buyers. They really do want to buy. One of the most classic ones I've had here in the States, you know, outside of Riverpools, my pool company was a, a metal roofing manufacturer. One of the most common questions with metal roofing shoppers is, so what are the problems with the metal roof? Right, because they see the benefits, but they're like, I've heard there's issues. Like, if the rain hits it, is it too loud? Right, so it's all these issues potentially. And so this uh, manufacturer, all they do manufacture metal roofs. Right, they produce a video on the seven biggest problems with metal roofs, and it did a quarter of a million views in the first two years. Dave, first we're going to talk about oil canning. What is oil canning? How does it affect a roof? Well, oil canning is, is obviously in these areas that, that kind of define and, and shadow out. You can really see the waves in the material. You can see the waves of the roof. And this is such a niche question here. Think about it. What are the problems of the metal roof? And again, the only people asking it are those that are considering a metal roof on their building, on their house. Quarter of a million people now could be their customers because they've resolved the issue instead of allowing someone else in the marketplace to control the conversation. Because here's who you don't want to have control in that conversation is the company that's not doing metal roofing products because you know they're going to be leading folks astray, right? They're going to talk against the thing. Whereas the greatest way in life to resolve a concern is to address it before it becomes a concern. So with me and pools, right? It's like, I know they're going to ask, what are the problems of the fiberglass pool? Are they ugly? Are they cheap? Do they pop out of the ground? These are the types of questions that I have to get in front of if I want to control the conversation. If I want to dictate the terms in my industry. That to me is the thought leadership 101. That's what it is. And unfortunately, a lot of companies just don't think that way. They think, okay, if I introduce the problem, I'm introducing the elephant in the room. But the elephant's the elephant. That's why it's an elephant. It's not an ant in the room. It's an elephant in the room, which means they're going to see it. And so it's your job as the business to address it. Yeah. Now, I asked the audience this morning if they had any particular questions for you and uh, a very good friend of mine, Jenny Proctor, who I've worked with and, and for, and I, we go for coffee as well sometimes. She asked a question and I thought, this is covered in the book, but I'm going to ask anyway, because I think it's still an important question. And that was around talking about the negative, about the cost comparisons and about the competition and yeah. how clients are not courageous enough to start opening up against what they see as insider information. <laughs> so what's your take on that, Mark? Because I know there's a, there's a whole ream of it in here. It boils down to what is our philosophy as a business. So they ask you answer is a philosophy in a framework. It's a philosophy in that it should eliminate debate amongst leadership teams or marketing teams or strategy teams. It's really simple. Are we consistently hearing the question? The answer is yes then we've made a decision already. So it's not if we're going to address it, it's how we're going to address it. That's the key. It's not if, it's how. That's also why I like to joke, Wendy, that really the perfect title to the book to most accurately describe this philosophy is they ask, you address it really, really well. But that's not a very good title for a book. 
not a good hook. <laughs> no, it's not a good hook, right? It's not as memorable, but it's actually the most accurate way of approaching it. Because true, you can't necessarily say everything. But what you can do is you can address the questions. And of course, you're doing it already with your sales team and anybody in your organization that sells because you get these questions in that face-to-face in-person environment. And so why do we wait to have that moment? What's so scary is if you wait for them to ask, by that point, oftentimes we've already lost them. There's a good chance we're not going to get them. They're gone because they've been vetting us and they said, "Eh, I'm not satiated. I'm not satisfied. I'm going to go elsewhere. It goes back to, is this your philosophy or is your philosophy? We're going to be selective in what we're willing to answer, even though we know our customers want to know. It's one or the other. It, you, it literally can't have both. And yeah. so once you say, all right, we're going to do this, then it becomes a live in the solution mindset. How do we address it the best we can? Would you recommend then that if they're not courageous enough to put it out publicly on their website, for example, it's a sort of blog and answering it there, that they start to implement it in a smaller scale through their sales teams and the conversations that they're having with the inquiries that they're getting, just so they can kind of breathe into it, no? I actually wouldn't really recommend that. No, okay. Here's what's interesting about the Ask You Answer, and I'm fascinated with this. Dipping your toes doesn't really seem to work very much. No, you're going to be all in. Either we believe this or we don't. It's like the company that says, okay, we're going to talk about cost and price We're going to put a pricing tab on our navigation bar, but then we're going to ask them to to fill out a form so that we can get back to them. No, that doesn't count. That's dipping your toes in. That's terrible. That's right. In fact, that just annoys people. Yeah. So it's very hard to live in that lukewarm space. So you either do it or you don't. The thing about you said with the sales team, well, the sales team's already doing it, Wendy, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're going to respond to anything they get asked. They're not going to ignore anything. They just, that's what salespeople do. They respond. Now, the way they respond can change, of course, from salesperson to salesperson, but they respond. So as an organization, do we accept certain truths? Are our buyers researching and vetting us to death before they reach out to us? Yes or no? If you say no, you're denying the existence of everything we know to be true of the digital age. But fine, you can say no if you want, but eventually you're going to be left behind. So if we say yes, our buyers are are vetting us to death and our competitors to death and our products and our services to death. They're more informed than they've ever been and they want their questions answered. Do we accept this to be true or not? We accept it to be true. Are we going to do anything about it? Yes or no? Because here's the thing. This what we're talking about, it's a rock in your shoe as a business. You've had a rock in your shoe before. Even the smallest of pebbles, does it stay in? Like, oh, I don't feel like taking that out right now. You walk a few more steps. Oh my gosh, it's so uncomfortable. You have to take off your shoe and remove the rock. And so this isn't going away. And it's going to become commonplace. What's sad though, Wendy, is most of the people don't do it until they're forced to do it by their competitors because the competitors already did it. So let me give an example of how this is happening. Because I've now spoken a ridiculous amount of times in different industries around the world, 
certain industries have completely changed in terms of transparency because of my teachings. One of the most well-known ones uh, for me, of course, is the marine industry, boating manufacturers. So boating manufacturers never talked about cost and price before I got so involved with the industry. They just didn't do it. And of course, the excuse was dealer is going to set the price with the end user. So it's not our job to do that. I'm like, yeah, but they do most of the research on the manufacturer's website. And then after they've done the research on the manufacturer's website, they go to the dealer who sells said brand. And then they do some more vetting there and then they reach out. That's how it works. And so you're a B2B2C company. Stop thinking you're not. You're B2B2C. You're manufacturing. You're selling to a dealer who's selling to the consumer, B2B2C. And that's actually how most manufacturers are. Most are B2B2C. They don't necessarily realize that, but they are. And they're becoming more so by the day, by the way. And so what happened was, is everybody said, no, we can't do that, Marcus. Then one manufacturer did it. And then as soon as that domino fell, what of course started to happen? And I will never forget a snooty owner, CEO of a manufacturing company in the marine industry say to me, that's not our buyer. What the hell are you talking about? It's not our buyer. I'm your buyer, dude. I am because I'm a boating fanatic. I have a YouTube channel, right? I have purchased boats more expensive than his boats. And I want to know how much they cost. Why? Because I'm a human being. And as human beings, we tend to want to know what it's going to cost 99.9% of the time before we give the money. We want to know how much is it? (laughs) The other 0.1% is when we're being robbed and we didn't know. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think anybody goes, oh yeah, I'll have that. Don't worry about how much it costs. Yeah. You write the check. Yeah. I'll just sign. Pick a number. Pick a number. Exactly, Wendy. (laughs) Crazy, right? It is something that that really tittles me that people are a little bit like, oh, no, 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 it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. And it sort of reminds me of a title to one of your chapters. If I've been told if we're not adding anything new to the conversation, then we shouldn't be talking about it. That's like the CEO of that marine boating company saying, well, we don't really know who our customer is then. So let's not talk to them. That's exactly right. I actually get really miffed about some of the things that you see when it comes. I think a lot of folks that talk about social media, talk about content, talk about this, talk about that. They act like there's no learning curve to this whole thing. Like as businesses, we've got to start the race running. And if we can't start a running, we shouldn't start the race at all. It's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Like, you're going to crawl for a while and then you're going to stumble and start walking and then you're going to start jogging and start running. That's how it works with anything in life. But yet, when it comes to the internet, we're not allowed to do that. Like everything you do, we have got to understand there's going to be a learning curve. The companies that don't embrace learning curves, that don't embrace the messy, they suck at the internet. They're no good because they think I'm going to just make this quantum leap without actually doing the learning component to this. I'm going to come out the gate perfect. Bull crap you are. That's not going to happen. 
And so the ones that embrace the messy, let's say, you know what? (sighs) On a letter grade scale, this is like a C plus. Eventually it's going to be a B. Maybe it'll be an A. But today we're going to take C plus. We're going to take it. As long as we take the step, that's... As long as we take the step. Yeah, beginning of the conversation is just about taking some action towards it. Yeah. So as a a big advocate of eliminating the confusion by educating people what you do, often that means actually oversharing as well what you do, because that's sometimes the only way to prove it. I was screening when I first got this book and I still go back to the glossary and think I might have missed it. Perhaps it's under a different word. But in the index, I can't find any reference to the telephone. Hmm. (laughs) Where does the telephone play out in your business? Well, I think if somebody does what's espoused with they ask you answer, the telephone gets a lot easier. Because if you think about it, how do we use the telephone in business? There's different ways that we that we use it. So if somebody's calling us, first of all, they've already vetted us. So do we want that phone conversation to be so much better? Or do we want it to be a lackluster conversation? One that we're teaching the whole time instead of potentially selling, right? Because that's the idea. It's like as a business, we have to sell at some point. If it's just to teach then eventually you're going to go broke. And so ideally your website's doing the teach, teach, teach. Once you actually talk to the prospect, that's when we're selling specific to them, their problems, their needs, their issues, right? That's the whole goal to this. And so there's a lot of manifestations with how this applies to that telephone or that in-person conversation, whatever that is, because we want those to be better. There's a whole section in the book on this thing called assignment selling. Simon Selling is absolutely magical. It's when you intentionally integrate content into the sales process. And when we were talking to a prospect on the phone before we went out to the house, we would always intentionally assign them content, knowing that if someone hit 30 pages, read 30 pages, consumed 30 pages of our content before the initial sales conversation, in other words, when we went to their home, they would buy 80% of the time. And if they didn't hit that magical number 30, they would buy 25% of the time. And so all we had to do was find a way for them to consume essentially 30 pieces of our content. And we knew we were going to make a sale four out of five times. So that meant A, we had to follow the ask you answer, but B, we had to be intentional with our content. And it really happened with that phone call because we got very intentional by saying, hey, Wendy, sure, I'm willing to come out to your house, but getting ready to spend a lot of money and I don't want you to make any mistakes. And so as you don't make any mistakes, I'm going to make sure you're really well educated. So here's what I'm going to send you as we're talking on the phone right now, and then really explain the why behind what you're saying to them and how it's going to prevent them from making any mistakes. And then at the end of that, I can say to you, so Wendy, will you make sure to review those things before our appointment on Friday? And I get that commitment from you and that's sales 101, right? But the power behind that is now, if you do your homework, you're going to buy 80% of the time. And that's really, really powerful. Yeah. I think that's the key piece that some forget is that they rely on the content to do all of the work and then they just kind of answer the phone. You, and yeah. yeah, you got to be intentional. It's like, here's what you don't say to somebody. You don't say, 
So, uh, Wendy, before I come out to your house on Friday, it'd be really great if you could take a look at a video I'm going to send you. That would be great. That'd be cool. No, no, that's not selling. And Wendy ain't going to do that. So I had to say, so Wendy, I don't want you to make any mistakes with this purchase. You're getting ready to spend a lot of money. Now, here's what I'm going to send you. Here's why I'm sending it to you. Here's the value to you. Wendy, we make sure to take the time to review these things before our appointment on Friday. That's selling. Yeah. That's what's going to lead to a great conversation with Wendy on Friday, right? Because she's going to be so informed. I mean, so many salespeople feel like their sales conversations are like Groundhog's Day. You know what they're going to ask even before they ask it. Why? Because they haven't gotten the answers yet. So why do you allow people to ask the same questions over and over and over again? Have we not learned our lesson? Do we enjoy practicing answering the same questions over and over again? Personally, if I can eliminate those questions, if I can have that person already know the answers and they learned it from us, that's what I want to do. That's why this content becomes so, so effective, right? It's very intentional. Again, that's the thing. That's the key. I think it's in many ways, that's a key phrase is you're intentionally, means you have a plan, you have a strategy to integrating that content into the sales process. And when I hear about companies producing content, but the sales teams aren't using them or that salesperson, whoever it is, they're not using it intentionally in the sales process. What a tragedy that is because they're missing incredible opportunities in those moments. You're going to increase closing rates. You're going to shorten sales cycles every single time. Yeah. And this is kind of where I always say it's marketing and sales and not sales and marketing because the marketing comes first. You're right. We got that backwards. Yeah. And I guess it just has a better ring, sales and marketing. Yeah. But you're so right about that. It's backwards. Because it should be from, especially today when marketing is handling roughly 80% of the sales process, they're through 80% of the journey, right? So it's like, holy cow, such a heavy, heavy influence. And when the conversation between those two departments, they're not flowing. So the salespeople don't know how to present what the marketing has said. So this is kind of what comes back to me in terms of culture through the company. It shouldn't matter if you're on the front desk or at the delivery desk that you should be able to talk to a customer on any level about anything that they want to ask. It's that educating of staff, no matter their role, I think. Well, that's what's really cool about the fact now that the Ask Answer has been out for a while and I've had some companies that have just gone all in on it. It becomes very cultural across the organization. Like everybody... Everybody in customer service, you know, anybody that's in engineering or product or da, 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 da. It's like everybody's thinking about this mindset. Hey, we're going to be the best teachers in the world. We're going to be so in tuned with what our customers and our prospects are thinking and fearing and asking and searching. And we're going to live our lives in a way that we're thinking about that, considering that all the time. We walk in their shoes. And because we walk in their shoes, we know what they feel. We know what they think. We know what they ask. We know what they search. And we're willing to address those things in every facet of our company and of our organization because that people become better subject matter experts. You know, one of the problems that I've been seeing a lot lately with sales, Wendy, and anybody that's been alive has experienced this in the last year. So often we walk into a location or we call a company and we can immediately tell that we know more than the salesperson does about the product or the service that we're interested in. That's bad. But we've all experienced it. It was so wonderful. The other day, I bought a new vehicle. 
And generally, the salesperson, I'll ask like about the electronics or something about some of the like the tech components. And they're like, I'll, you know, I'll find that out for you. This dude gave me a whole like 101 full blown. He knew this vehicle inside and out. And it was so atypical, right? Because normally we're not seeing that from the sales world. So sales teams have to elevate their game. They've got to become better subject matter experts, better than they've ever been, which means companies need to make sure they're being trained to be better than they've ever been. They cannot be aloof. They've got to be up to date. But one of the best ways for especially sales teams to be up to date with product or with whatever the thing is that you're selling is that they're helping marketing produce the content. Hmm. They're helping with the videos. They're helping as a subject matter expert on the articles. And this keeps them up to date. And that's one of the benefits of having this beautiful content program where you're teaching and answering customers' questions is because it forces your team to become better, more informed subject matter experts. I would go as far as to say that the guy at the garage that sold you the car wanted to be driving one too. (laughs) And it's that kind of passion, isn't it? When you really believe in a product or service that you would talk about it as though it is yours. It belongs to you. That's right. This is the belief that I think is lacking from certain sales organisations is that they're they're just pushing cartons and boxes and uh, quotas. Order takers, right? I mean, it's like we've got to go beyond that and still some pride in the way that we sell. But this goes back to the way we communicate. And the way we communicate to me is very organizational. That's very cultural. And that's why I think as organizations, we don't teach communication nearly enough. Because when you teach it well and you have a beautiful foundation of the way we communicate... Well, then that affects your interpersonal conversations. That affects the way marketing does their messaging. That affects the way sales does their messaging. That affects the way leadership talks to the internal team and externally as well. I mean, it's like, this is, you know, my agency impacts. We spend so much time on communication. It's a big deal. I can't talk about it enough. And I have to agree that when you're invested in what you do, that's the confidence. That's the passion. That's the, you don't have ums and ahs. You don't have the, I will get back to you because I don't know, because there's nothing that you don't want to not know about it. So big fan of training for sales. And because those conversations will count more when you know what you're talking about. Let me say one other thing about this. What's really cool about the ask you answer that a lot of companies have come back to me and said is, Because our learning center or our blog on our website is so robust, it has now become the training manual for new employees. That's really, really powerful, right? The other way that it works, Wendy, and this is really prolific today in a time period when everybody's struggling with recruiting, is more and more companies are doing a they ask you answer for potential recruits on their website. So an entire section that's just the questions that a potential employee would be asking and answers to those questions. Very effective. And what's also very interesting is just like we found that there's a tipping point for page consumption when a prospect consumes a certain amount of pages of your website, they're probably going to buy. There's the same tipping point that when a potential employee 
is reading your website, if they hit a certain number of pages, there's a very good chance they're going to apply and try to work for you. They're going to reach out. It's very, very cool. I would say the byproduct has got to be as well that people have not got the right kind of mindset and not going to want to come and work with you. That's right. And they're not going to want to buy from you either. That's right. It is an amazing, beautiful filter because you end up dealing with those that share your values or are aligned with you, the good fits, as we like to call them. And if you eliminate the bad fits, everybody wins because we're spending less time. No salesperson especially enjoys spending a long sales cycle on somebody that they find out later is not a good fit for some reason, right? We're going to carry on that conversation in just a moment. But first, let me tell you about my Power Up program. An hour and a half with me and accountability later. It's by no means ever going to fix everything. But what it will do is it will allow us to find one area that's a key priority for you to implement straight away into your business and allow you to just see the other areas that you need work on. It's a great stepping stone into the 12-week building block program. Just book a chin wag, let's have a natter and let's see how I can help you. going on now of where there's a basement of a hundred story office company corporation and there's one guy in the basement waiting for the phone to ring for somebody to complain that's right (laughs) wouldn't that be wonderful (laughs) that would be amazing right is it going to happen necessarily that way i mean who knows it could but could it happen much less in other words the bad fits uh the ones that had regret or the just the wasted sales processes could they happen less? I absolutely believe they could. And that's what's so interesting is like, why are we afraid to be really honest with people? One of the things that we talk about, they ask an answer, is that everybody should have a section of their website that says who they are and who they're not a good fit for. And almost everybody says who they're a good fit for, but few companies, rarely ever, does anybody say very definitively, very distinctly who they're not a good fit for. It's an activity I love to do with business leaders and even marketers. Like, I want you to tell me one sentence, who is your company not a good fit for? And if they struggle, it means they have an identity problem in their messaging. I can guarantee you suffers because of it. Yeah. So I could, if somebody asked me now, who is your swimming pool company not a good fit for? Immediately, I could tell you. And it's not going to be some snarky answer, sarcastic answer like, Well, if you don't value quality work, we're not a good fit for you. They're not our buyers. Right. That's that's the cheap one. If I say something like, if you're looking for a swimming pool that's longer than 40 feet or wider than 16 feet or deeper than eight feet, if you're looking for something that's extremely customized in terms of shape or size, well, then our company's probably not the best fit for you. Boom. I've said it. And the Mm -hmm. thing about it is now I would say that over a much longer video or textual article, whatever the thing is. Chuck, let's go to my agency for a second, right? Impact. If you're looking for a company that's going to do all of your marketing for you, in other words, you want an agency that's going to write your articles, that's going to produce your videos, that's going to do your social media campaigns, and you're really not interested in learning how to do those things yourself in-house, well, then we're probably not the best fit for you. Okay, once again, it is a very clear understanding of who we are. 
But the moment you're willing to say what you're not, that's the moment you become dramatically more attractive to those who you are a good fit for. Yeah, I've had clients say one of the reasons that I picked you, Wendy, was that I knew that you were going to drop the truth bombs on us, whether we liked it or not. And not everybody wants that. They want it sugar coated. They want the they're there. It'll be fine. And, you know, right. you, you, you have just to do it that great. way. If you don't do it that way, well, that's OK. Well, no, it's not because experience tells us, doesn't it? That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. And people that the ones that want that kick in the tail, they will seek that out. You know, I have a business coach. I sought that out. I didn't want somebody that was there to tell me how great we were doing. I didn't want a cheerleader. I wanted somebody to kick us in the tail and take us from a nine to a 10. That's what I wanted. So where are you now? 9.9? Still got a ways to go. (laughs) But that's the thing, isn't it? We're always on the learning curve. And then you get to the top of the summit. Oh, there's another mountain just there's another one a little bit higher yeah so keep climbing keep climbing those mountains one piece of advice for anybody in business right now when it comes to their marketing just say marketing because it's a aside from they ask you answer go get a copy and and implement that now what's the one thing that we all have to do this is going to be they ask you answer ish but if you haven't done they ask you answer The first thing to do is what I did at my kitchen table is you brainstorm with a pencil and a piece of paper all the questions that you've received over the years about your product or your service. Any question that you know somebody's searching online right now, if you were buying your product or your service, what would you type into that little box called Google? Write all of them down. Write them all down and then ask yourself honestly once you're done. And by the way, if you don't come up with at least 50 to 100, you're being lazy and you don't know your industry very well. So once you've done this, ask yourself a simple question. How many of these are answered on my website right now? Yeah. The answer will surprise you. And then once you've done that, you know what you need to do next. You got to start pouring the content out there to answer those questions. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Well, Marcus, I don't know whether you're aware of this, but every guest that comes on the show, I ask them to recall one conversation that they can remember that created a turning point for them. So this is the bit where I have no idea what's coming next. So what have you got for me today? It's not going to be a very good conversation in the sense of two people, but I think sometimes when we're reading or listening to a book, it's like a conversation, like Mm -hmm. the person is speaking to us. Two most important things that's ever happened to my swimming pool company. One was, of course, doing the Ask You Answer. That changed us forever. But there was a time when I had three different retail stores and I was selling hot tubs and pool tables and tanning beds and saunas and all types of stuff. And this was in the 2000s. And I was not making any money. I was spinning my wheels probably going backwards. And I read Good to Great and Jim Collins in there explained to me, because I listened to him over and over again in my car. He explained to me, you got to choose your hedgehog concept, Marcus. And the hedgehog concept, as explained in the book, is you see a hedgehog is a pretty simple animal. It's not very talented, but it does one thing really well. And the one thing that it does really well 
is when it gets attacked, it rolls up into a spiky ball. And it's very, very hard at that point to do any damage. It does that one thing very well. And so I was doing all these things and I wasn't doing anything very well. So that was when I said, I need to get rid of all my retail stores. I need to stop selling above ground pools. I need to stop doing the pool tables. I need to stop doing the hot tubs. I got rid of all those things. I said, we're going to do one thing. We're going to be the best in the world at fiberglass swimming pools. That was our hedgehog. That was our roll up into the ball. And then once we started, they ask you answer, looked around and everybody was saying things like, you got to be everywhere. I said, nope, we're going to do one thing. We're going to answer our customers' questions. We're going to do it on our website. And for the first six months, all I did was answer customer questions over the website in text. One thing. And once I mastered that, we added video. One thing. I didn't do social media with River Pools for six or seven years after they asked you answer. Think about that. Yeah. Because I didn't want to be distracted from being great at one thing. That one thing principle has been pivotal to my entire business success. I think then the front of this book, next time it's reprinted, ought to have a little hedgehog on it because it absolutely comes (laughs) through that you are focused on that one thing. Mm -hmm. So a really important message for everybody in business too. And of course, I'll just share with you that Harris, the crest, if you like, the ancestral crest is three golden hedgehogs. No way. Absolutely. And what I can a prove winky it. dinky. That's so, <laughs> so neat. <laughs> that is wild. That's really, really wild. I, I love the fact that like you get it right and you help companies really with what we've been talking about today. And the fact that so many people help spreading this message makes me really, really happy. So I appreciate you. And I'm hoping that your audience will get something out of this, but I think they will, especially if they've got an open heart, open mind, they're going to get a lot out of this. Yeah. Well, they they say that we attract like-minded people. So present company included. (laughs) Yeah. Dittos. Yeah. I agree with that. And if anybody wants to carry on the conversation with you, Marcus, I know you mentioned it earlier, is LinkedIn the best place for them to Definitely. find and you? What's funny is, as we've talked about already, you won't find me on Facebook. You won't find me on Instagram. Why? Because I said, where can I be the best in the world at? I think I can be the best version of myself for social media on LinkedIn. So that's where I put my focus. And that's why I've done very, very well on LinkedIn is because I'm not trying to be good in all these places. Wow. I hope that has changed your view on content in the same way that it changed my perspective too. Marcus was so very generous in answering all of the questions that I had. And of course, every business has specific circumstances and things that they need to ask. So if you've got a question for Marcus, please do get in touch with the show and we'll make sure that we get those questions answered for you. Because as we've said, if you don't ask, the answer will always be no. Next week, to follow on from this conversation, we're going to be building on website presence. So I'm super excited to be inviting Michael Bozinski 
to be making conversations about website marketing count. And digital marketing is the fastest evolving industry. There's a lot more snake oil now than there ever was in any of the traditional medias uh, previously. Make sure you hit that follow button and you won't miss the content. Oh,